He is not just from Texas. He is of Texas. It's Braddock on Texas. How are you? Everybody needs to get all amped up because tomorrow is the day, the election of consequence in the great state. Yeah, and the fall of the Alamo all on the same day. Let's start there. One of the jobs is overseeing the Alamo, and of course, uh, George P. Bush, Commissioner Bush, has uh, tried to reimagine the Alamo. He's trying to navigate uh, some local politics there in San Antonio, and then also that, of course, is overlaid with the not only state but national and world politics of messing with the Alamo. You don't mess with the Alamo, right? Uh, Jerry Patterson, uh, the former land commissioner, has been saying that Bush is messing this whole thing up. It's really interesting to see Patterson's shift on this. He says that it's based on the evidence. If you listen to what Patterson is saying, he says, look, yes, I endorsed Bush when he was running for the office that uh, Patterson was vacating almost four years ago. Patterson ran for lieutenant governor. That didn't work out. We have Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, of course, instead. That was a four-way race. Uh, And Patterson says he thought he was leaving the uh, land office in good hands. But he says he's been very disappointed that Bush has been uh, just, I mean, we keep saying this phrase, but it's the argument. He's been messing things up left and right. It's not just the iconic issue of what to do with the Alamo and whether to focus on the battle in 1836 or to focus on the know, centuries of history that happened in that area, uh, but it's also about the response to Hurricane Harvey. The uh, land office, as you mentioned, these different offices have different responsibilities. One of the things the general land office is supposed to do is respond uh, to the housing needs of people uh, when there is a uh, man-made or natural disaster in this state. Hurricane Harvey, the worst hurricane in United States history, uh, impacting uh, you know areas all along the uh, Gulf Coast from Nueces County down around Corpus Christi all the way over to the Gro- uh, Golden Triangle uh, at uh, Beaumont and Port Arthur mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and and you know it's not just that you had all of these people who were either displaced from their homes for a while or are still not back in those homes you know six months later there are also people who have family members who are in that situation uh, so people who don't even live in those areas are still upset about what's happening in those areas. I can tell you that I was at a uh, forum uh, for uh, two Texas House candidates in Galveston a couple of weeks ago, uh, Mays Middleton and Fair, uh, Wayne Faircloth, who are uh, running for uh, State House. There are uh, different kinds of Republicans, but both of them playing to the crowd and saying that George P. Bush has handled the response to Hurricane Harvey terribly. Hmm. We should also say that in those counties that we mentioned, all along the coast, that repre- represents about... Forty percent of the Republican primary uh, vote across the state, so not insignificant. Wow. So let's go around the state then. Uh, we're going to look at the overall makeup of the Texas Senate. Uh, you mentioned Kel Seliger. It's a critical race. Also, uh, Senator Craig Estes, who's next door uh, in the next Senate district over. He faces uh, a guy who has been portrayed as someone who's going to be a yes man for Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. That guy is named Pat Fallon. He's a state representative right now. Uh, Patrick has the back of that guy. Wayne Faircloth, who I mentioned down on the coast. Um, Lyle Larson, Sarah Davis, Wayne Faircloth, all of them are state representatives who at one time or another um, questioned one of the ways in which Governor Abbott raises campaign cash. $14 million worth of campaign Hmm. cash uh, has come to him from appointees to boards and commissions. Just to be clear for people. The governor can put somebody on the UT Board of Regents, and that person can give him hundreds of thousands of dollars. And uh, Faircloth, for example, had been asked about that, had been asked about uh, whether 
uh, ethics reform in the legislature um, was going to go anywhere uh, in the future uh, and why it didn't go anywhere last time. And Fairclough simply said that there are some Republicans like himself and others uh, who don't think it's right that if you're going to be on the Board of Regents of any of our university systems, for example, uh, that you would have to give a big donation to the governor. They don't think that's right. And it's not Abbott-specific either. Uh, governor Perry did that. Governor Bush did that. Abbott just seems to be uh, to be the best at it. By the way, we just posted a little while ago at quorumreport.com a column from uh, former Republican Party of Texas Chairman Tom Pawkin, uh, who, you know, a lot of people, Jay, like to say that they're Reagan Republicans. Pawkin actually is a Reagan Republican. He served in the Reagan administration, uh, in addition to being a former RPT chairman. Uh, he said, look, it's simple. Abbott is trying to make examples of Lyle Larson, Sarah Davis, and Wayne Faircloth for trying to limit his ability to award his big donors, his cronies. You won't see Empower Texans uh, complaining about Abbott's cronies. You never do. Uh, but uh, some of the other things we're watching, of course, is the uh, turnout all across the state in the Republican and Democratic primaries. What, what do you know, Jay Lason, in Texas? There are some Democrats around here. In the 15 largest counties, uh, we've seen, in some cases, Democrats outpacing Republican votes. Um, and, of course, that has uh, people nationally talking about whether there's the blue wave coming to Texas. Uh, we can talk more about that later if you like. But it is interesting uh, to see that there is so much enthusiasm on the Democratic side. There are some reasons for that. One, people are upset about President Trump, and it's not just Democrats, not and, and not just uh, people who have been Democrats over the years. Some people are voting uh, for the very first time, a significant number voting for the first time in a Democratic primary, uh, upset about what they see coming out of Washington. Uh, also, you have Beto O'Rourke, who's running, against, uh, running so that he can run against Ted Cruz in the fall. There's a lot of excitement about him. And, of course, the Democrats have eight or nine candidates running for governor, and uh, Democrats want to see uh, who's going to come out uh, on top in that. Looks like it's headed to a runoff. There also is, you know, when we talk about this anti-Trump sentiment, there is, there is a, a handful of races for Congress uh, in which there are tons of Democrats running uh, to try to take on the Republicans in the fall. Those include races in Dallas, San Antonio, and Houston. Uh, and uh, a couple of other places as well. So uh, we'll see what happens here. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the, the excitement level is almost to the level that it uh, sometimes would be during a presidential election year. Yeah, so Scott Braddock, Corn Report, joining us here at Scott Braddock on Twitter. I want to look at this Democratic primary for governor. I was asked today about this blue wave. Do you think it's a thing? And I think it'll be the Republicans who do themselves in. If Texas turns purple, it'll be because of Republicans that, quite frankly, what is the increase from 2014 in Democratic turnout? It depends on where you look. And of course, uh, we're still seeing the numbers trickle in from all of the counties. Immediately, we were able to see the biggest counties. And so a lot of times in media reports, you will see uh, the 15 largest counties. That's what uh, is usually referred to. Uh, Remember, 254 counties across two time zones, it's hard to add all this stuff up. It's mm-hmm. a very decentralized system, of course. Um, but in the big urban counties, you're seeing a Democratic turnout um, compared to 2014, in some cases 300% higher than it was in 14, in some places 200% higher than 14. Uh, but to keep it in perspective, and I think to speak to what you're talking about with whether or not this is really a wave that's going to make a difference in November, um, you have to look at the fact that Democrats are trying to make up a lot of political real estate here. They're trying to catch up with Republicans in a big way. Uh, in Harris County, for example, when you looked at the when you look at the first uh, few days of early voting, uh, you had the Democratic vote up by about 300 percent, and Republican vote the voting was up by about 11 percent, something like that. 
but that meant that you know, once you once you saw the Republicans rise a little bit and the Democrats uh, rise a whole lot, you were seeing them run about even, right? So the Democrats were having to make up quite a bit hmm. uh, of numbers to even get to where Republicans are. So um, if there is a blue wave, which is very possible, um, you know, as we said, and, and I think as people uh, just sense from the news coverage and uh, they see it in their Twitter feeds and on their Facebook pages and elsewhere, people are very upset about President Trump. But if there is a blue wave, two things to remember. One, the Republican Party in Texas has built the kind of fortifications you need to have in place to be able to withstand such a blue wave, and by that I mean the sort of redistricting maps that we have, uh, along with some of the other rules governing our elections. Uh, and number two, um, you have uh, the, the fact that the Democrats just don't have the resources that they would need to be able to run competitive races in the fall. Um, one exception to that uh, is Beto O'Rourke, who has done very well in his fundraising and, and has been able to do well in fundraising um, when he's not getting any PAC, getting any PAC money. Uh, but even though he's gotten a lot of media coverage and even though he's doing well in fundraising, despite the fact he's not taking PAC money, um, if you look at any of the polling that's out there, and of course we have a paucity of polling, public polling in Texas, uh, but if you look at what's there, his name ID is still very, very small. This is a guy who has represented uh, you know, El Paso in Congress, which is not a population center. Uh, and So people, even in the big cities where he's been getting some excitement, the vast majority of voters still don't know who he is. The political machinery, that's why we have you on the show, to talk about what realistic expectations are. But I wonder, in my mind, their best shot is Andrew White. And I'm curious if what I'm hearing is correct. There's a huge turnout for public education in the Republican primary to vote for Scott Milder against Dan Patrick. Mm-hmm. And that would include moderate Democrats that are not voting in. Do you think that the turnout in the Republican primary is going to be substantial enough that it tilts a scale one way or the other between Lupe Valdez and Andrew White. I'm not sure, but to speak to your point about Milder, it would be very interesting if he, and of course we're talking about the guy challenging Dan Patrick in the Republican primary, if Milder gets 20 to 25 percent of the vote in the Republican primary, I think that would be a game changer because for two reasons. One, um, people who would vote for Milder instead of Patrick are not going to vote for Dan Patrick in the fall. Right, they would they would switch back and vote for probably for a Democrat or just not vote. Uh, Two, um, if 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 there is that kind of uh, enthusiasm uh, for some some, for someone other than Patrick, it resets the conversation just a little bit because up until now, it's been safe to say that Patrick is the spiritual leader of the Republican Party in Texas, and if his dominance is in any way threatened, um, I think that you would see some recalibration. I mean. Look, if you asked you or me four years ago what's the way to win a Republican primary in Texas, uh, the answer would probably be to get to the right of Ted Cruz. Uh, The answer right now is to praise President Trump. There's a reason that uh, in Dan Patrick's uh, television commercials, which, by the way, he spent more than $5 million on during January, uh, the first words out of his mouth are, I agree with President Trump. Uh, That sets the tone for every other candidate. On the Democratic side, um, I'm not sure... uh, you know, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. But I'm not sure why uh, Andrew White would would make any more a better of a, a you know better of a showing against uh, Greg Abbott than Lupe Valdez would. I'm I'm just not sure about that. Um, but I do think here's the sleeper race for you: Attorney General uh, Justin Nelson running as a, a Democrat against uh, Ken Paxton this fall. 
Um, he's probably going to be sitting on north of two million dollars uh, when we get uh, you know to November or right before November. Hmm. Uh, and you have a sitting attorney general who could be uh, either convicted by then, uh, because of course he has been indicted on uh, you know allegations uh, related to securities fraud. Uh, the attorney general could be convicted by then or on his way to being convicted. Um, and the message from the Democrat in the race, uh, who is you know, a respected attorney in Austin, um, if he's got two, two and a half million dollars in the bank, the last six weeks of the campaign can be television ads uh, all over the place uh, showing Ken Paxton behind bars. Uh, that could be a message that could either you know, drive more term- Democratic turnout uh, in that race uh, or, or, uh, and or uh, make some Republicans maybe skip that race. could get interesting. Well, there he is, Scott Braddock. Follow Scott Braddock at Scott Braddock on Twitter as he goes through the, the information as it comes in tomorrow night. Yes, and uh, we'll be tracking all of the election results, uh, you know, from one end of the state to the other and top to bottom as well. And by the way, I want to make a special offer for listeners of this show. If you go to quorumreport.com, click subscriptions, uh, go ahead and subscribe, sign up for free, and click bill me you'll get a free month of the Quorum Report, and the only way we can enforce it is uh, if you don't pay your invoice after a month, we'll cut you off because we are ruthless capitalists at quorumreport.com. Braddock on Texas. Have a good evening. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jay. We'll talk soon.